people said we would never make it to episode three. My own mom called me on the phone and said, James, you'd never make it. You got to stop the podcast. It's nonsense. I said, Mom, you should support me. Anyways, today we're talking to Rob Stenson. He's the co-founder of Good Hertz, an audio plug-in company. If you don't know what plugins are, they're basically fonts for sound. Uh, Good Hertz has a pretty incredible reputation for creating really unique plugins that have quickly found their way into a ton of music being produced today. Good Hertz always has a pretty incredible reputation to me of having some of the most interesting graphic design work attached to it. Rob is a designer and writer, and when I say writer, I mean there is nothing this guy can't write. I'm talking music, literature, code. If it can be written, Rob can write it. People like this astound me. Rob is also studying type design at Type West, where I teach. Spoiler alert, he's leaving the program. And the reason why will totally surprise you, or at least it surprised me. I originally met Rob in one of the most unlikely ways. He used our typeface, Hobo Rococo, for the table numbers at his wedding. Can you believe this? His childhood friend, Jack Stratton, a.k.a. frontman of Wolfpack, was at his wedding and tweeted, Ono Typeco sighting at the Stenson wedding from the Wolfpack Twitter account. A 2015 version of myself was astounded. This, of course, ultimately led to Ono working on Wolfpack mono and a bunch of other projects but also began a long list of collaborations between myself slash ono and rob slash goodhertz we touched a lot on uh, all kinds of different things but let's just get into this already here's our interview with rob stenson all right all right here i am you can see me Hopefully. Is this a, a, a like a typewriter collection behind oh no it's looking like mostly camera lenses behind you Got some lenses. I got a, a typewriter that I got in the eighth grade and <laughs> lugging it around with me. In my seriously, God, I don't have anything I've owned that long. I I got it. I think I got it for Christmas. It's an Olivetti typewriter. So you're an eighth grade kid, and you're like, dear Santa, <laughs> I want more than <laughs> anything this vintage typewriter for Christmas. Yeah, I think it might have been around the time I also got uh, an Economist subscription for Christmas. <laughs> it's a true story. How long were you an Economist subscriber, or are you still? Uh, I'm no longer an Economist subscriber. Uh, you know, it was early 2000s, I think, when okay. I was in middle school. And what were you taking away from reading The Economist? You know, I have... I. I haven't thought about that in so long. Why was I reading The Economist? <laughs> Dude, I think just kids get so bored. Kids mm. just, and they get onto something and they're just like, whatever it is, like I'm a thousand percent on board. Or I think back about my own childhood. I've told you this before. I had a subscription to EQ magazine, which was all about like mix- mixing and mastering mm. and, and stuff like that. And I think now just like what a weird interest for an eighth grader to have. But my dad was pretty indulgent in those things. And it sounds like maybe your parents were as well. They're like, economist subscription? You got it. Yeah, I think my dad just thought that was so funny. (laughs) And I think he gave it to me like in a leather briefcase. I was just like trying to be very serious as a child. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds pretty striking because my 
my kind of vision of a young Rob that I was thinking about in preparation for this podcast, obviously, <laughs> was that you were very much operating like you are now, just running around uh, between all these very different creative interests. But yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. I, I, um, I think the economist thing. Now that I'm thinking about it more, it was all part of like I really wanted to be a journalist. Oh. And at that time, more of the stereotype of a journalist, which I think has changed a lot in the meantime, was like a guy that wore suits and went to an <laughs> office building, you know, like a really a natty dresser. Yeah. I'm probably just thinking of Tom Wolf or something like that. <laughs> and um, then and then that faded somehow. Yeah, I, I think looking back, I mean I I've always loved writing and but looking back, I hadn't thought about it in a long time that I used to collect the mastheads from newspapers, like uh -huh. the old black letter, or not always yeah, black yeah. letter, but I had them taped up all over the walls of my childhood bedroom. Like whenever we would take a family trip somewhere, I'd get the local newspaper. <laughs> and at the time I was like, it's because I love journalism. Uh -huh. And then looking back, it's like, is it, I just like the fonts, I think. I just like you know, the graphic design aspect or both, yeah. you know, who knows. So what what graphic design projects were you working on or, or thinking about at a at a young age? Like, were you like a, a nine-year-old that knew how to use Photoshop and stuff like that? I was making newspapers in Microsoft Word, <laughs> uh, which is not what it's designed for, but I got really into, like, really classic. I got a book of classic New York Times front pages from, like, uh -huh the 19th and 20th centuries. <laughs> I haven't thought about this in so long. Uh, yeah, that, that was like my passion. Wow. Was designing these really old, and they used to get the text super close together in the columns. I love uh -huh. how crowded the old newspapers were. Uh -huh. I guess, yeah, now it's, I know it's like a linotype thing that they yeah. were just getting as much as they could in there. Right. And I just thought that was so cool. And the headlines that, you know, the first one is aligned left and then center and then right, that cascading uh -huh. style of headline. Uh huh. It's just very, I ran a newspaper for a while. I was like the only writer, and I would get uh, Jack wrote for Jack Stratton of Wolfpack, was a uh -huh. contributing columnist. <laughs> and um, you were how old? I, this is like seventh and eighth grade. Okay. Um, and I went to a very conservative school, uh -huh. but I was not conservative. I, uh -huh. I'm making it sound like I was, like I had an economist subscription in a later briefcase, but <laughs> Sounds I, was pretty like conservative. The, I was the token liberal kid, and <laughs> I called the newspaper the Democrat Zephyr. <laughs> and I told, they were like, this is just because everybody was complaining that I was just doing that because I was liberal. And I was like, no, that's just what they used to call newspapers. It used to be a Democrat in the name. And I was just lying to them. You're you're clearly not a nine-year-old newspaper historian like I am, so let me fill you in on that. <laughs> right. So I, I was kind of shocked to hear that your first uh, maybe creative collaboration with Jack was not at all musical. Uh, actually, no, you, no, this is after the music. <laughs> oh, you guys had already started a band by then. We had a Beatles cover band in fourth grade. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Um, were the Beatles the covers start. you were playing, were they kind of like the low-hanging fruit of the Beatles catalog, or were you going for it? Were you doing Yellow Submarine? No, we did Love Me Do was one of the early ones, which is like so easy. It's just Yeah, I, I would ridiculous. say that's, a, that's what I would recommend for a, a fourth-grade Beatles cover band, but then there is now a, I'm a... Well, there's a video of us playing Get Back, <laughs> which is so weird to hear a little fourth grader singing. It's a pretty weird song. Who's I don't on really vocals? Even know what it's about? That's a John Lennon. I think I was obsessed with John Lennon. No, no, so no, no. Got... not not who's on vocals in the Beatles oh, oh, version. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was me, which is weird because I don't really sing uh-huh. anymore. Well, Jack I I drums. love that. Yeah. I love that song because he says, uh, get back Loretta. And yeah, we named our daughter Loretta. Mm. I think, you know, uh, the fact that it's like in a Beatles song is always a, a good argument to name a baby something like that. But I, I mean, was wondering if it was amazing song. Love the song. I, I did wonder about Loretta. Is it a, I know the John Prime cover of a song called Loretta. Did that factor in? Yeah. That didn't actually factor in. We named okay. uh, Loretta, Loretta. I mean, I, and I'm a huge John Prine fan, as you know, and uh, I love him to death. But um, really, it was like a five-minute conversation with my wife. Like, I love these kind of bursts of decision-making that can just make everything so much easier. And I don't know if Sadie said it or I said it, but... One of us is like, well, what do you think about Loretta? And it was just like, done, easy, let's Great move name. on. Yeah. Um, and then with PJ, our, our second kid, it uh, it was the opposite of that. It just took a, a really, really mm. long time. Is that how you are with making creative decisions? It seems like with your output that you got to be like pretty quick. Like there's not a lot of noodling back and forth. Um, I guess, yeah. I think there are things that I'll noodle on. Um, I was thinking about this just recently that like, I, whenever I start learning about some creative field, Mm -hmm. uh, I think I have like this temporary condition that sets in where I'm able to deceive myself into thinking I'm incredible at it. (laughs) And I remember talking to Theo Katzman, uh, the uh, you know singer songwriter Theo Katzman, uh, yeah. that he was we were sitting around and he was saying something like, you know, when you start learning an instrument, you know you're bad at it, right? And I legitimately was like, oh wow! Every time I've started playing an instrument for the first month or two, <laughs> I think I'm just like instantly good at it, <laughs> like from the first time I picked up. A guitar when I was like nine or ten and I was just playing nothing on it and just like oh that's it I got uh-huh. it like I'm playing eight <laughs> days a week to like on when I was learning banjo in college I had the same exact thing I was just uh-huh. like oh well I'm I'm amazing at it I mean I can kind of like see a, it coming from I was guitar not getting it. into I should, banjo no, I should make clear that I'm never good at the thing. It's just like a temporary. And then looking back, I know I wasn't good. You know, you develop the taste 
And then in retrospect, it's like, wow, what was I doing? Yeah, well, it, it seems like most people are confronted, like musical instruments. Someone was talking recently about how all interfaces should be intuitive. And then you look at like a banjo or yeah. a guitar or whatever. It's like, that's not an intuitive interface by any stretch. And it's such a... Uh, a bizarre thing just to get your left hand pushing down strings and making a continuous note like that is such a barrier to entry that's really really hard but you don't feel it at all for some reason yeah i don't, I don't know what that is i totally disagree with the idea that interfaces should be easy because <laughs> I, I think the more difficult an interface is well Usually they're difficult for a reason, but I've found like the most rewarding things are non-intuitive. What would be a kind of contemporary example of that? I mean, code is kind of the least intuitive (laughs) thing you can do. It's very hard to like just look at code. Everyone looks at code. If you don't know how to code, you look at it, you go, I don't know what this is. I have no clue how to even begin to parse what this is uh Uh, but for me it's the most rewarding skill that i've picked up because it's just well that and playing musical instruments so they're i don't know they're very similar to me because you just can't you know i don't know what am i even talking about but (laughs) well because i make software that is supposed to be intuitive that's my day job I would think that interface designers would get so sick of trying to make something intuitive that you would kind of begin to look around at all the interfaces that you love that aren't intuitive, like writing code or like a musical instrument or or even like a bicycle, you know, just like the, mm-hmm. the most universal thing in the world. Um, and you come up with all these reasons why it's actually, we have license to create interfaces that, work in any way we want. You know, like Snapchat is not an uh, Mm -hmm. intuitive interface for a lot of reasons. You have to like learn how to use it from your friend or whatever. And, and maybe that's by design, but I don't know when, when I think about all the varied stuff that you're getting into, like making interfaces, writing, recording, playing music, um, you know, all your stuff with code, uh, which is all varied in its own. Um, yeah, studying type design, studying calligraphy, even even like totally like being a husband. Like, do you compartmentalize all these different things in different parts of your brain as separate intelligences, or is it just kind of all lumped in there as a, a single thing? I think it's all the same, yeah. It's all like I, a continuous movement of interest. Uh, I kind of think about it the same way too, but I I kind of get that that's shocking for a lot of people or that you have to be in a particular mood to be creating in any one of those mediums. But as someone who jumps around a lot, like, do you find that to be true? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I sometimes don't want to do, I don't want to play music at all for months or (laughs) Or years (laughs) or years. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'll want to do it. Uh huh. 
it's like the only thing I want to do for a little while. <laughs> but I feel like they all kind of, you know, kind of like moves in a continuous fashion. Mm-hmm. Like something will lead me back to music, but I won't just be doing. I mean, one one good example is just there's a new episode of Holy Trinities that I've been working on. Right, and out. to just give a little bit of background, what's Holy Trinities? Holy Trinities is a show that uh, started as a, a list on Jack Stratton's computer just of his three favorite of a bunch of different things. And he showed it to me and he said, uh-huh. I want to do something with this. Uh-huh. Uh, and then maybe a year later I said, let's make a podcast. And we made one about his three favorite snare sounds, snare right. drum sounds. Right, yes. And then maybe a year after that, I had gotten into video editing. So I said, let's film you doing one as a video. Uh-huh. And then we did ended up doing three of those. And then and then three or four years passed. Which brings <laughs> us to the, the current day. Uh yeah, I just kind of lost interest in there's so much work. They might not appear to be it's so insane. Much work. No, it definitely comes across as a uh as an insane effort. And thinking about people that run YouTube channels or something like that, like, and, mm. and they put out a video every week, like that just seems like such an insane grind. But we should mention that your Holy Trinity's videos are kind of a ridiculous amount of editing and, and kind of effects processing going on in any like random five second snippet of one of those videos there's interesting things happening with audio with video and with typography on top of it all so it's like it's dense it is like a really it's like a feast of of editing yeah i love when when i film them jack who's the writer and performer of all of them you know i don't write the content at all right he'll sit there and he just off the top of his head he's doing this stuff uh-huh. And if he has to do it twice or three times, he'll always apologize to me <laughs> that I have to edit it because he's done editing. You know, like sure. he's, he has that same mindset where he knows how much work goes into it. Right. I actually like the, the literal editing part where you're cutting, moving clips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love doing that. That's just like kind of a almost meditative process. That brings you back to the, like, am I making decisions quickly? Yeah. I mean, yes, I don't second guess that stuff. I might watch it again a day or two later and change something very small, but I don't ever think, oh, I need to rework this whole thing and the flow's off. No, it's just like you're just making these very quick decisions. So that's a lot of fun. Well, the flow in those to me is extremely musical and uh, like everything is has a sort of cadence to it. And it it flows just like really, really well. So that kind of would then be the first step in any one of those projects, you'd say. So you just kind of do the video part of it to music. Uh, yeah, I, I cut out all the stuff I don't want to use. Mm-hmm. I know I don't want to use. And then, and then I think you have to get the music in, for me at least, because I edit to the music right. pretty way closer than I think anyone would ever tell you to edit to music. There's like uh-huh. a lot of conventional wisdom that you're not supposed to cut on directly on beats. Oh, really? Much. What's the thinking there? Do you know? 
Um, I don't. I would love to know more about it. I don't know a lot of professional editors, but I've seen things where they say like you're supposed to cut the visual before a couple of frames before. Huh. <clears throat> or you're just not supposed to do it that much because I think there's a lot of. It used to be that audio and video would get out of sync. They mm -hmm. still do. If you watch a video on Bluetooth headphones or something, right. you're going to be some number of frames off. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just the thrill of it to me is is too much. I can't avoid cutting on <laughs> the beat because I just love doing it. Yeah, um, so and, like, and it, it fits with the subject matter too. I mean, all those videos are about music in one way or another. So it's like, mm -hmm. it makes sense that it's like, bordering on a, a music video almost yeah I, I guess i think of it to to come back to that are the interests related i kind of think of those as writing to some extent like that that uh -huh. flow is more of a writerly flow in my mind mm -hmm. that i'm not writing the words that are coming out of jack's mouth but i am you know positioning them in such a way to create that so yeah, it's a lot like music itself, and then it's got music in it, and then that's the most fun is when stuff starts to click mm -hmm. with the music that I need to use, mm -hmm. and then if it doesn't click, I'll go edit the music and try to get it to like the right length or something, mm -hmm. and then yeah, no graphics at all, uh -huh. which I think is kind of how stuff is usually made they're usually a, a different person for each of these tasks yeah well yeah um, it, exactly and that's kind of the shift that i think a lot of graphic designers have seen in probably the last 20 years or or 30 years whereas before everything was separate you know you'd have just one person doing typesetting or one person mm -hmm. recording the music another person be playing the music um and now they've really all merged uh, or they can merge. It, it doesn't have to be that way, but you actually can have your kind of voice in all of these different roles at the same time. And it, it makes this thing that feels distinctly Rob. And then you connect the Holy Trinity's videos over, you know, however many years you've been doing it. And it's just this really, really tight library of things that are stylistically linked in a cool way. You know, I also think about uh, uh, Jack saying something about how all of the ABBA discography was recorded by the same guy in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And so there's just this perfect continuous string between all of the ABBA recordings. They all just kind of have that same... I don't know, stylistic uh, choices in, in recording and stuff that are really cool. Um, how? Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 please, please go ahead. I was just going to say so much of it is a computer makes it possible to do all those things. Mm -hmm. And personally, I don't love asking for favors. So I just, <laughs> that's, I think that's a lot of how I ended up. I think I started editing videos because I didn't like asking Jack to edit videos for me. Like he knew it had to uh -huh. do it before I did. Uh -huh. So that was a huge part of it was like, okay, I just need to learn how to do this. Uh -huh. And then I trick myself into thinking I'm good at it. <laughs> and then you get good at it slowly. <laughs> it's such a superpower though. Like that is such a cool <laughs> little trick is to just kind of believe that you are gifted with this thing because that is such a hurdle for so many people that are starting something new. They're like, 
they feel the opposite. I would say 99% of people feel the opposite of you whenever they're starting something new. Particularly yeah, I guess it's like a reverse imposter syndrome. <laughs> but but only it's not like I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm going around proclaiming how good I am at something. It's just like in my private by myself, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm I'm killing this. For sure. But yeah, if you were telling other people that wouldn't really make a difference. But if you're telling yourself and you're believing it, it will, you know, give you the confidence to to go on and actually, like you're saying, get good. Um, when you're doing these collabs with Jack or, or whatever, um, I think you're both so good at being hands off. Like if, if Jack mm. asked me to do something or you asked me to do something like around lettering or, or whatever, like there are no versions, there are no edits. No notes. <laughs> there are no notes. It is just like a one e – that's why, you know, we always suggest in the creative community that you should absolutely never work for free. Like, um, you know, that's very popular to give that advice. For you – I'm like, dude, I'll always work for free. <laughs> and and Jack is really, uh, I'd say, a gentleman about like insisting that he, he pay me for certain things. Um, but at the same time, if there's no notes, dude, I'm loving it. Like it, it mm -hmm. really reminds me why I'm there in the first place. So how do you, is that a conscious effort on your part to let go? Or what's your thing? How are you able to collaborate in that way? Yeah, I, I think so. That's definitely something. I Maybe I picked it up from Jack that he's kind of aggressively a no notes yeah. as a lifestyle choice. <laughs> At least, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't worked. I haven't seen him work with a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I've seen a lot of Wolfpack sessions. Uh -huh. Like I've, I've videotaped them. And mm -hmm. it's just a... Uh, yeah, I mean, you create a little scene of trusting people, but also, I mean, I've I've had moments where like, oh, you know, what I wouldn't do it that way, or I would, yeah. I would change something, yeah. and I just, you know, what do you get from that? Right. In six months, you won't notice it, yeah. or you'll have seen it so many times that you think it looks awesome because all this stuff is so subjective. Right. Um. Yeah, I, I've just seen. I worked at at a big tech company for a while and uh -huh. I wasn't a designer. I was an engineer mm -hmm. and just all the notes that everyone had. Mm -hmm. And it was clear they were just, they just had notes because their job. Right. seemed like they had to have notes. That's, that's the thing. And I love that story. I, around that time I heard the story about a, probably apocryphal, but a gaming companies it said that somebody made a whole game and then added a character mm -hmm. to the game that was so annoying and so stupid and would just pop up on screen but they added the character just so the product manager would have a note <laughs> they knew that note was going to be take this character out and they had coded it in such a way that it was easy to take the character out yes yes i have a hard time believing that's really accurate although i think i've done that kind of thing Dude, I when I yeah I would put that in the category of um of Jedi freelance uh, tricks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I I've heard a lot of people in the design community doing sort of similar things, 
or they they get, for instance, a logo to a place that they're really happy with, and then they make two versions of it that are just barely, barely different. And then when they're presenting it to the client, they're like, so we really need your help and your eyes on this to decide which of these two. And of course, it's all a, a, a farce because they, um, they're just giving them license to exercise their opinion and make it feel like they're making a decision. They're actually not making a decision. Part of me is like, oh man, that is borderline unethical, you know, because <laughs> it is a lie in a way. Mm. On the other hand, I'm like, so genius is just like whatever gets you through that creative process and makes everyone happy along the way, by all means, go for it. Yeah, it's it's tough to get right because I know when when my wife Diana writes something, she'll often or she'll send it to me and say, "Can you just read this over?" Mm-hmm. And so often I read it and I go, "It's perfect." I don't I don't think I want to change. I wouldn't change anything. Uh huh. But that doesn't. And then she'll just be like, "Well, nothing." That's <laughs> <laughs> like it's if you have no notes, it almost does seem like you're not engaging with it. Yeah. So sometimes I do wonder, I sent the latest edit of the new Holy Trinity's video to Jack. Uh-huh. You know, you know, so good. <laughs> you know, awesome. Yeah. And I was like, does the ending work? Uh-huh. He's like, oh, you could do like a, a slow-mo thing. Oh. And he wasn't going to say that. Right. But I asked a very pointed question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that I don't know. That was very cool to me because it's like, if that's how I want the ending to be, why would he? Yeah, I think he knows I put a lot of stock in what he thinks, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What the well, yeah, of story and, is, and no, just like exactly, uh, your wife puts a lot of stock in in what you would have to say. I was running mm-hmm. into this exact problem a lot. I, I think this might be a common thing for people planning weddings. And uh, one person is maybe more excited about the wedding planning and the other person is less excited. Um, So I I was finding myself uh, trying to be delicate about offering my thoughts on things when I felt like that was what was uh, desired of me, we could say. But Mm. then very quick to be like, I don't know, you know, this is just a minor thought or whatever, or we better we better go with your original decision on this. But it is a tricky little dance. And uh, if people are specific, like, like you asking about the ending, for instance, I think that's mm-hmm. you saying, okay, I'm, I'm opening up the doors and like reading between the lines here, you're saying, I know we have a thing of no notes. Like that is a sort of code between right. us, <laughs> but this Unspoken. is, this is me. Yeah. Opening up the doors to it. So just like, let me know if you have anything. I think that's amazingly cool. I just wish more people were like you and Jack in that way, because it's so much more fun and it's so much yeah. faster. I think I have a, big thing around just efficiency you know and Mm -hmm. and wanting to get the most bang for your buck and nothing zap zaps that like uh having a bunch of notes on stuff um 
we talked about uh, you working at a big company as an engineer. Um, were you writing a lot of code leading up to that? Mm. I, that was like my first, well, I had another job at an ad agency right out of college. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a computer science minor. Okay. And All I right. had gotten to the point in the program where it was clear that I could never complete a major in computer science. Why? Because what? Of the way they taught it. Oh. I'm so bad at math. And <laughs> this is something I like to tell people because if you hear someone knows how to code, you just assume, oh, well, they're good at math. That's like a part of the job. Yeah, or at least maybe. That was the stereotype that I was familiar with. Okay. Um, and I had started taking coding classes in college like two or three times. And every time I was, oh, I'm never, this isn't going to work. Because. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what code can do, but I feel like my brain is wired incorrectly. Um, and for some reason, I think probably because I wanted to impress my Diana's uh, dad, some kind of does something with computers. <laughs> no one knows what he does. Uh, at the time that I, because I was like an art history major, uh-huh. and I remember telling him that, and he was just like, "What? What, what is? Why?" <laughs> I was like, okay, that just kind of pushed me in that direction because I really wanted to make websites. Uh-huh. And I had learned how to design them. You know, I'd learned CSS. So I was like, okay, I'm in the I'm in the matrix now. <laughs> some exposure to code. But then there was it was just a very clear gap to then learning real quote unquote real code. Right. Um I don't know why I I pushed through on that. I'm glad yeah, I, I was- did. I was just wondering if there was ever a time that you were scared of code because I see that I I feel like that with a lot of things. And I just see that in students a lot of times. It's like there's just like this fear around it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you are 100% and then, afraid of code. Yeah. And then to, to fast forward to present day, um, first of all, could you just talk a little bit about like what a Python library is and, and what cold type is? Sure. Uh, cold type is if you're, if the, your listeners are familiar with Drawbot. Uh, I don't Drawbot know. I wouldn't, Python. I wouldn't guarantee that. Well, yeah, I can, ex- Drawbot is a Python <laughs> application that is a, a little code editor and a little window that shows you what the code, uh, I guess you'd say evaluates too. So you mm-hmm. write, uh, fill rectangle it'll show you a rectangle with you know as you specified it side mm-hmm. by side uh, which is an incredible tool for learning how to code because you get this immediate feedback and you get into this cycle mm-hmm. this very tight feedback cycle um, which is really the whole point of programming visuals in my mind is that it's powerful and it's fast um, mm-hmm. but once you do that long enough, you start doing the same things over and over again in Drawbot. And mm-hmm. then you want to abstract the programming word, uh, mm-hmm. modularize that into some kind of little library that makes it easier to do those things you do all the mm-hmm. time. So that's how cold type started, was just a way to package up little ideas, little bits of code that I was using all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it grew out of that because um, my background is in software engineering. So the little Drawbot environment became very 
claustrophobic to me because uh-huh. you can't use all like the classic professional programming tools. Uh huh. Are you talking about like so, uh, like code editors or yeah, like a, a good code editor that you mm-hmm. can configure just the way you want it? And mm-hmm. It's got you know, so you develop your muscle memory and your keyboard shortcuts, right, and all that stuff. Uh, but there wasn't, as far as I could tell, a good Python library. Python being incredible for typography, mm-hmm. basically all other languages being not incredible for typography, just <laughs> uh-huh. because. I mean. That's not really true, but if you want to make like static graphics, ping images, and you want to do high quality typography, mm-hmm. it seems like Python is really the only choice unless you go for something much more heavy duty like a C++. But mm-hmm. um, I wanted to use Python and I wanted to make static graphics and I didn't want to use the Drawbot app, uh-huh. which left me kind of nowhere. So I just started working on my own little thing. And it's just an app. It's basically is Drawbot. It does everything that Drawbot does, but there's no app. There's a window that pops up and Uh you run it all from the command line. Uh Uh, So it's much more amenable to integrating with all manner of other applications. Uh But yeah, just a, a graphics library for Python with an eye towards animation, which uh-huh. is something that I care about a lot. Mm-hmm. Drawbot can do animation stuff, but Drawbot's really oriented towards, uh, I would say, print or document programming. Yeah. With um, also animation, so too, you can do in Drawbot. It is. It's like, yeah, you can absolutely do animations with Drawbot. I think that's where it, for me, started to become clear like oh well why can't i play the animation frame by frame or jump Uh, to uh, a frame uh, uh or render these frames out of order on multiple cores of my machine (laughs) so those are all things that cold type does uh so now that it's Uh, out out there and like in the public uh are you see seeing people using it uh not not too many people (laughs) I'm not good at uh, evangelizing my own work or I, yeah, I, I tried to do a little documentation. That's, which is yeah. like, I, I heard this thing recently, like there are these concepts in software engineering, like free, like as in beer or free as in, I don't even know what they are, but I saw one It usually to refer to open source uh-huh, uh-huh. code, like what is, what's free about open source code. Uh-huh. But I saw this thing that was free as in piano, which I just love because the idea being you put a piano out on your yard and uh-huh. it's got a free sign on it. Uh-huh. It's like, well, you have to have a pickup truck to get it uh-huh. <laughs> and it's probably broken. So you probably need to know how to tune a piano, which yeah. no one does. Uh-huh. So cold type is kind of free as in piano at the moment. Yeah, and you have to it's know just... how to play piano. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly it. Um, I want it to not be that. And uh, Goodhertz now has a, I guess he's calling himself an apprentice, okay. or an intern. Uh-huh. And he's doing a great job learning about it and just kind of asking me lots of questions. So this is a, just to briefly talk about Good Hertz, or bring the listener up to speed. Good Hertz is an audio plugin company for which you are a, a co-founder and the designer and in charge of 
marketing and like the website and everything, right? That's it. Yeah, that's the. And so this is an intern uh, or apprentice that is assuming some of your responsibilities, or is more on the um, development side of things. Uh, Cold type is a project. I guess we'd say sponsored by Good Hertz, uh-huh. um, in the sense that I own Good Hertz and work on Cold Type, uh-huh. and we use Cold Type for a ton of stuff at Good Hertz. Like all of our plugin interfaces are essentially designed in code uh-huh. using Cold Type, uh-huh. so a lot of its features are oriented specifically towards those tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy in particular wants to learn kind of about how to make cool little animations with cold type. Ah, uh, yeah. His name is Brad Immel. I think, you know, okay. Nice guy. Stanford <laughs> student. Nice. Um, and he also wants to learn about DSP, which is kind uh-huh. of the, the core skill of Good Hertz. That's what we sell at uh-huh. the end of the day is DS, DSP digital, stands digital for... signal processing. Yeah, digital okay. signal processing code, um, which I don't actually know how to do myself. But that's my co-founder Devin Kerr's specialty. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I do kind of everything, but that. Uh huh. Um. Well, not everything, but I do stuff that's less mission critical. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. that's perhaps debatable. I guess, like, I I yeah, think yeah. about this with running a type foundry that it's basically two parts, and one part is working on the library. And one part is working on the visibility, and uh, you've seemed to do uh, the heavy lifting on the visibility things, either through social media or the YouTube or whatever. Um, how do you split your time though? Because you're like a a co-owner of this company, and then in any given day, how much of it is like? Are you doing forty hours a week for Good Hertz? Uh, yes, define for good hurts. I mean, Holy Trinities <laughs> is uh, presented by Good Hurts. Yeah. So that's something that is, it's a way for us to spread the word about uh-huh. Good Hurts. You know, we put our logo all throughout it. It seems like Good Hurts um, has spent a lot of money on Holy Trinities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, for something that doesn't make any money. Right. Because it's it's basically... I don't want to say illegal, but uh, we use a ton of music in it that it's demonetized, as you'd say, on YouTube. We right. cannot make money from it on YouTube right. Right, right, right. because of our liberal use of copyrighted material. It's totally. for education, though. So, uh-huh. yeah, I should have consulted with my sister before discussing this. You know, hey. an entertainment lawyer. S- sounds legit enough by my standards. Um. I'm not trying to put it on Netflix or anything. Uh, yeah, that's like, uh, am I spending 40 hours a week doing engineering for Good Hertz? Yeah. No. Maybe. Some weeks I do. Yeah. Some weeks I do more than that. Some weeks I do less. Some weeks I'll just do video promotional stuff, uh-huh. especially like in the lead up to our our big yearly sales. Mm-hmm. I really just spend all my time making weird little animated videos for those sales that I don't know if those pay off or not. I enjoy making them. I spend too much time. (laughs) Um, 
yeah, basically everything I do, I feel like is connected to, well, not everything, but most of what I do is connected to good hertz in some way. So if that's fixing something in cold type that I, it can be used for how we build our plugin interfaces. Uh-huh. That's for good hertz. Yeah. But something I'm doing in cold type to make an animated video, that's also for good hertz because I make a ton of animated videos for good hertz. Right. Um, yeah. I just yeah, think I don't really keep track of it. <laughs> I, I, I just think you're really good at saying or or figuring out ways to be super engaged in the creative projects that you're getting into. And like I mean, no one was there telling you, hey, you should really be working on this Python library that's going to speed up some of your animation. Like, this is all self-directed stuff. Um, But you've been really diligent about turning Goodhertz into the vehicle for all of these creative pursuits that make you super engaged. I don't know. It, 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 does it just kind of like come out that way or or is it more of a result of like, well, Good Hertz is a, a company I co-founded and it's successful enough to um, afford me the option. So I, I, I don't feel like I have to like grind on it, but I can let it be this kind of thing that is enriching for me. Um. I don't, I don't know. That's a, it's a great question. I feel like I don't know how to do it basically any other way. Yeah. I've been doing good hurts for long enough now that it's like, I kind of forget what it's like to have a boss. Yeah. Um, I, in terms of like stuff that's, I guess when you say like grind on the implication is that that's the actual thing that we sell is what I would be working on. Sure. Um, Which I do contribute to a lot, sometimes often in kind of an on-call scenario where it's like other people, we have other employees and they're working on the plugins and something doesn't work. And I maintain kind of the build system that we use for the plugins. So Uh I'll say, why doesn't this work? And I'll say, oh, well, that's because of this. Also, that I should change how that works. So I'll spend a day Uh or two doing that. Um, um, kind of in a in a maintenance capacity, uh-huh. and that uh, but then that, that stuff that kind of is uh, you know has dependencies on it, or would then keep someone else from making progress on it. That would then take priority over any other project that you had going on. Yeah. Like like you're putting holy trinities on hold in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's just that the the workload is a little asymmetric for the audio plugins because I'll design them. I'll do a pass on a design. I'll put the, we call it the control set together for a plugin idea. And then Devin will work on it or, or Noah or Jasper will work on it. And then we'll have a version and I'll play with it for a few days. I'm also kind of like the lead tester feature tester. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll just make music using the plugins. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, why does this do this? I'm I kind I'm like the resident know nothing in uh-huh. a sense because i don't want features just because i'm like an audio plugin aficionado i actually don't know that much about other audio plugins so uh-huh. I, I try to maintain a little bit of a naivete about 
how they work and what they should quote unquote do. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll use them. I say, you know, why does this do this? Oh, I didn't realize that's what that was doing. So it's like, I'm the first line of customer feedback. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, I mean, I just use them even making Holy Trinities. I'm using all the good right. plugins yeah. to do all the audio part of it. And then that just brings up all kinds of issues. It's a little dangerous because I'll use these development versions of right. the plugins and then my, my mixes don't open up again. I yeah. try to open them. Well, yeah, and you're using uh, development versions of dive faces. I'm just living on the edge. <laughs> even <laughs> though I refuse to update my OS. Ever. <laughs> yeah. I hate doing that. Same, same. I'm definitely putting that off as long as possible. Um, shifting gears a little bit, uh, Maybe talk a little bit about uh, the Type West Extended Program, which is something uh, that you've gone through term one on, right? You just finished up term one there. So I'm curious, what was attractive to you about that program in type design? So it's kind of like adding yet another different skill to your uh, sort of arsenal. Um, yeah, what was attractive to you about applying? Um, I mean, I've been interested in type design for a really long time. I'm of the generation that saw the Helvetica movie as a, you know, like 18-year-old or something. Oh, yeah. So I got really into type design, I think, around that time. It's like 2007, yeah. six, seven. Yeah. And got got deeper into it, was getting into graphic design. And then I think basically... I didn't know anyone that did type design or graphic design. I was not at a design school. I was at a liberal arts program. And I think it just kind of faded away. And I think to be completely honest, I got really into like sustainability stuff. Uh And I began to think of fonts as kind of, if anything, a guilty pleasure. Uh So I kind of put it away as an interest, like actively, like, okay, I shouldn't concentrate on this because um, you were focused then, on on uh, environmental issues uh i mean i don't want to make it sound like i was you know, i was just taking classes and that kind of stuff yeah you know, su- sustainable stuff and learning about that and getting more into computer science right stuff programming in general and you know i maintained the interest and i followed type people on twitter and would see stuff and i saw you know, fast forward many years, I saw Hobo Rococo come out. Uh-huh. Uh, and that just clicked something in my head, like, oh, why did I stop caring about this? I do care about typography. Hobo Rococo did that for you. I had entered into a period of, like, <laughs> kind of sad minimalism where I was just using the most boring fonts possible uh-huh. out of like some idea of, you know, like 2014, 2015, just using yeah. the most boring grotesques uh-huh. imaginable in, in our audio plugins. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, I think that was just like just an explosion of enthusiasm, clearly uh-huh. as a typeface. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't, and then you had that video where you used Wolfpack right yeah i did a time lapse the soundtrack and at my bachelor party i made jack watch the video because i had sent it to him and he 
didn't want to watch it for some reason. <laughs> and he was like, oh, cool. And then I was on my honeymoon and Jack sent me that email. That was like, I, I sent this guy an email to make a font to make both mono. <laughs> and so I think just from that point forward, I got more and more into it over the span of a few years. Uh, and I, you know, just started reading this book where this guy says incredibly cool book called finding the Raga. And he said, just talking about interests in general, how he became okay. interested in Indian classical music. He's an Indian writer. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, moment, who knows why we become interested in something that didn't hold our interest. Uh, but then suddenly you have to reproduce it. Uh-huh. Which I just love that, that way of describing it, reproduce it. Like, I have to do this thing that I'm interested in. Uh, yeah. I can't just be an enthusiast of it. I, I need to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I had felt that way about type for a little while. I bought a Robofont license uh-huh. <laughs> uh, just as a way of investing in it and, and saying like, wow, I spent a lot of money on this. Now I have to learn how to use this program. <laughs> right. Um, and then, yeah, as 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 far as like why did I apply to Type West, I think the most proximate reason is that I don't live in a city that has a type design program. Yeah. And I don't think I would I was not willing to move to a city that had a type design program. Right. Or country. Um so I applied because the pandemic had made it all online. Uh-huh. And maybe yeah, the timing wasn't perfect for me because I if, you know, 2018, maybe a, f- a few years ago, if I had done it, it would have like really hit me at the right time. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that that's the real reason. I just, I'm obsessed with fonts. Yeah. And then I think taking the program, there's this thing that happens when you get really into something and you, you've decided you want to reproduce it. Yeah. But then I think there's an inflection point where it's, do you know too much about something that you can no longer enjoy it? <laughs> I'm kind of interested in this as like a thing that can happen in creative fields. You've talked to me about have, this with your co-founder, Devin. Yeah, I just, I love that little anecdote. I was having a beer with Devin. I, he knows so much about audio. Basically, the most you can know about audio. I mean, he's still learning, but as in the way that everyone is. But I just, I said, you know, you know so much about audio. Does it, take away from the experience of listening to music, which is why you would know anything about audio. You love right. music. Right. Ex- I t- absolutely expect him to say, no, of course not. And at least this is how I remember it. I- I'm sure he'll hear this and say, oh, that's not what I said. But uh, I remember him saying, well, yeah, I don't really listen to music that much <laughs> anymore. And that just absolutely blew my mind because I think one thing, I am afraid of with learning too much about type uh-huh. is that when I crack open a book to read it, I don't want to think about the text typeface. Oh yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I am like a little afraid of, cause it, it'll happen every once in a while. Something will turn over in my brain yeah. and I'm reading a paragraph of text and it's like, I'm just looking at the letters now. Not reading it anymore. But I want to be able to read it. Yeah. Um, and it, it happened with, uh, I really thought I wanted to be a music video director for like a few months, a few years ago. 
Yeah. And I made a music video. I Joey Dossett. Pretty serious. Yeah, you were in it. Yeah. Yeah, you were. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly. And that just, as I was editing it, in this process of bringing it all together, I remember watching TV, and all I was thinking about was the lighting uh-huh. in the scene. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, what a, so I'm just in this prison of... <laughs> craft thinking about craft yeah which i don't tv in particular for me is like that's just how to relax like i just want to yeah enjoy it uh i don't really know what that's a propos of but <laughs> i think for for type i i did kind of get to that point where it's like i do love fonts i love looking at fonts i love using fonts mm-hmm. i love knowing their history in particular, mm-hmm. I just kind of love history in general. Uh, that as I was making my own font in Type West, I was like, I don't need to do this. <laughs> Particularly being around other people in that class who are just like, it's clearly going to be stars uh, of type design uh-huh. in the future. Uh, we are I was like, oh, that's not me. We're yeah. all victims, though, of. Of putting our work against others in any sort of classroom or workshop thing and and just saying like oh this person has got it and I'm not this person and I'm on a totally different level which I I think is kind of one failure of the classroom setting you know I always am like aware of that as a teacher and I really want to stress that to students that they shouldn't compare themselves to other people and we're all on a different level and if you knew everything already then there's no reason to take the class in the first place and stuff like that so like at at its best the classroom environment facilitates an inspirational kind of feeling rather than Mm -hmm. a a competitive sort of feeling i i wasn't even thinking of it as competitive though i think it was just that i had never really been exposed at length to designers uh-huh. particularly <laughs> type designers uh-huh. i mean i've i know you and i've we've hung out but in that setting i think they were it was jen ramirez was teaching uh-huh. the roman brush capitals workshop yeah and just talking about like oh you can just do this to relax you can <laughs> you can get it out the paint and the brush and part of my brain was like yeah, I totally get that. This is so cool. And I loved the workshop. Mm-hmm. But then part of my brain was like, that's that's music for me. Like, I have a thing in my life uh, yeah. that's like the way that everyone else in this class feels about sketching. Yeah. That's how I feel about picking up a guitar yeah. and sitting on the couch and just aimlessly playing major seventh chords for uh-huh. 30 minutes. Yeah. Because it's it's something that is both I'm learning and getting better at guitar when I do it, but also it has no purpose. It's just to something that I can luxuriate in. And something that someone else would hear that that maybe uh, doesn't know how to play guitar and would just be endlessly impressed by. And you would just be like, well, I'm Mm. just... I'm just playing the simplest thing and they would be like, Oh my God, you're, you're an incredible guitar player or whatever. Um, so, uh, can we talk a little bit about your decision to exit the program? Yeah, I guess I was kind of going there already, but right. Uh, yeah, I think 
Well, I think just in a very practical sense, it was taking up more time than I had allowed myself to think it would take. I think I knew it would take a lot of time, but I kind of tricked myself into like, oh, it won't, it won't take that much time. Right. Um, maybe a little bit to the exclusion of me being able to follow my normal meandering creative interest path. Right. Yep. That it was kind of like, I feel like as I've gotten older, it's like I have to be able to just <laughs> let myself wander. It's been it, so long since I was in any school of any kind. It's such a fantastic luxury if you have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a little tough. I think I, I, it was very important for me to realize that maybe I want to know as much about typography and, and type design as you can know without crossing that bridge mm. to kind of like feel like it's like from the outside looking in or from the inside looking out. Right. I think I want to be on the outside looking in. Uh huh. I've learned that about a lot of things. That's like cinematography. Uh huh. I would rather be on the outside looking in. Uh huh. Uh, type design, playing live music. Oh, God. High school. And then I was like, I don't want to be awake at 3 a.m. waiting to play my set (laughs) at this warehouse in Brooklyn. I would like to go home now. That sounds like Uh, the absolute, the only thing worse to me than being a professional, like touring musician, would uh, be mm. a professional touring stand up comedian where you have everything that's as bad, but then you're also alone. And also hanging out with other comedians all the time. <laughs> Sounds like hell on earth. Like I totally I totally get that. I think there's a lot of people in graphic design that had a cool band that didn't quite break through. And so mm. now now they're a graphic designer and they love graphic design and they're great at it. And you know, they were doing it for their band and that's how they got into it. But I am much more aligned with the notion of um, being a graphic designer is the coolest job anyone can have. I mean, I, I definitely believe that about being a, a type designer um, because you ha- there are a lot of similarities to uh, being a musician too. Like you can own your own work in, uh, in the same kind of way, but you have mm-hmm. the performance removed like there's no live performance anymore which would just destroy me it just seems so hard to have that skill well here we are this is the live performance of graphic design oh dude the podcast this this is uh and i've done enough amateur stand-up comedy i followed my brother around one summer doing it and he was actually pretty into the san francisco amateur stand-up comedian scene so i just went along with Mm. him doing open mics like three or four nights a week for one summer and it was a horrible experience just absolutely miserable but what i learned is um when you're doing amateur stand-up comedy, the audience kind of wants you to fail. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> it's just vicious, and and people can be mean, and then people like heckle amateurs, which is totally not fair because you're totally not prepared for that. 
But now every time I have to do something like this or go speak somewhere or do the, a, a sort of performative thing around graphic design, it's a layup, dude. It is so much easier because everyone now mm. like wants you to win or you go speak at typographics or something and like, oh my God, if I were to tell that joke in an open mic format, I would bomb and hear the crowd is going absolutely wild. You know, it's just like they're two completely different worlds. No heckling at typographics. So. <laughs> there should be. Or maybe I'll just start heckling. <laughs> Matthew Carter comes up on stage and I'll start heckling him. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to ask you uh, just a couple of questions to wrap up here. Um, because you seem like someone who's really got a lot of different intelligences on lock. Do you still find yourself in any given day like doing really dumb stuff? Uh, an example for something I do all the time is like turn on the wrong burner on the stove. I do that every time I go to turn on the stove. Like, do you ever have a oh, moment yeah, in your daily life where you're like, I'm a total dumbass? I'm classically absent-minded. Yeah. Really? I, f I couldn't remember if I took my allergy pill yesterday morning. And I was just like... I, that happens a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not like a, a an organized, conscientious person, which I think again is like you'd think that's what code right, demands right. of a mindset. Uh -huh. But I, code is incredible because it allows you to not be organized. Right. I don't have to keep my Photoshop layers organized. Uh -huh. You know, there are no layers. Yeah. It's just code. <laughs> um. So you mentioned Theo earlier. And Theo has an awesome song called Pop Song where he's kind of lamenting like the daily struggles of mm. an artist that is faced with doing their taxes or doing the dishes or and things like that. When really, you know, he's saying he, he just kind of wants to be like a poet and a, and a musician and, and focus on writing a pop song. Do you feel like that in your own creative life that you're you're kind of bummed out by daily minutia like that? Uh, it was much more successful than <laughs> I mean I feel like I, I'm not I have no mainstream appeal I'm not like a well-known graphic designer or anything no so, that's that's no, not what I'm saying I don't think. but are you are you frustrated by that bullshit in life uh, I don't know I think I've carved out a a space for what I do yeah. that that doesn't come up for me a lot. I mean, I've done work. I did work for a, a TV show. And that was a little bit like that. That I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that's not a feeling I get a lot. I'm extremely lucky to be my own boss. Yeah. And essentially... Yeah, what is the bullshit that Theo's talking about there? Like, I th I think he's talking about like dishes, and like oh, <laughs> and like keeping right, your right, house right, clean. Right. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't totally mind that stuff. It took me a while to. I I wasn't raised in a house where I had to do a lot of chores, uh -huh. <clears throat> which I extremely am not going to do, if when I have my own 
children because <laughs> I think that's a massive disservice <laughs> to kids to like not yeah get it into them if they have to do chores because that's what being an adult is you have to do right no one else is gonna do it yeah uh, so like really took me a while to get get into that groove I, I love doing the dishes now because that's when you really get to listen to music dude what a wonderful attitude you have. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm making it sound like that's only very recent. Maybe that's a pandemic thing. Um, I think that that pretty much wraps it up for uh, this talk, but you t just touched on something that I kind of want to ask. And um, I see you as a designer that's criminally underrated or un uh, unknown by kind of like contemporary graphic design culture we could say we're not going to see your name in um you know it's nice that or, or major graphic design publications you know correct me if i'm wrong um but do you have that feeling that um you're like god i'm doing all this amazing stuff and i'm not headlining typographics this year uh, I think maybe I certainly have those thoughts have, as they would, you know, like when you Google yourself or something, uh -huh. those thoughts have popped into my head. But when I really think about it, you know, like on reflection, I'm so lucky to have, to be able to make a living doing what I'm doing without being uh, well-known. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I kind of don't. Uh, I don't know how to phrase this. You don't care. I am someone. I am someone that like every movie has a guy that looks like me in it, even when the movie is trying to be diverse. You know, somehow there's always because like I'm the exact like Hollywood writer. Like, you know, there's always somebody that looks like me in the writer's room uh -huh. on every TV show. Uh -huh. So they write themselves into the script. <laughs> I feel overrepresented is like the conclusion I've come to. Yeah. I don't need to. If someone wants to come learn about cold type online uh -huh. and, and talk to me one on one, uh -huh. that's totally cool. And I would love to inspire people to do cooler stuff than I'm doing uh -huh. using the, the tools that I use. But, um, I mean, I, I did want to be a writer for, that's like the, the real job I wanted uh -huh. as a kid. And then I think four or five years ago, I was like, I, I should, I should pursue that. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I just love reading and I love writing, but that's just like, I'm like the stereotype of a writer. <laughs> like the entire 20th century someone with my background and my skills and the way I look and the way I sound it's just I don't it's unnecessary that I be well known yeah I don't know how really to phrase it because then when I say that people are like oh no you shouldn't feel that way you should write if you want to write uh -huh. and that, yeah I can write and nobody needs to read it I don't need to be on you know your list of recommended whatever uh -huh. i don't need to be on the i mean yeah being interviewed is cool it's like yeah. it's nice to be 
someone to care about what you do. But <laughs> at the same time, I I have a thing where like I really try not to listen to music by white guys. Uh-huh. For lack of a better way of putting it. Uh-huh. I'll listen to it if I know them personally. Uh-huh. That's kind of like the dispensation. Uh-huh. It writes uh, off a ton of music. Yeah, and but I've also spent a lot of my life listening to that music. Right. So like I feel pretty grounded in the canon of <laughs> white you know, guy music. White guy music. <laughs> Uh, so I, and then even, you know, even as I say that, when you listen to so much music, the person on the album cover is not a white guy, but then the guy that owns the studio right. and the recording engineer, yeah, the record uh, label, the, the diversity behind the record or the, you know, the people in the band in the recording session. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't really know where I'm going with this, but that's just something I really think about. Well, I think you're just touching that, uh, as a white male, you know, living in California, uh, your whole uh, crowd is overrepresented. So you're happy to kind of fade into the background and, and, and be a kind of supporting player. I think it's cool. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. All right, Rob. Thank you for being uh, my second interview on, on Ono Radio. Honored. It was really cool to talk to angie on the episode one and i know you've uh, worked with her on a on a few things and um i would put you both in uh, the camp of creative people i'm endlessly impressed by because you do such a good job of keeping the lights on keeping your bills paid and also continuing to push yourself into uh new or uncomfortable areas of of creativity and and new mediums so Thank you so much for being on the program. Absolutely. Happy to be here and just, you know, huge fan of your work. Obviously. <laughs> All right. That. All right. That's enough. I love Rob's idea of having reverse imposter syndrome, and I urge you to indulge in that as much as possible. I was so shocked to hear that for him, learning about type design was almost too much pulling back of the curtain, but it's a realistic point of view that those programs do take a ton of time. So, if you're an audio person, anyone that's recording music, please check out Good Hertz if you haven't already. Follow Good Hertz on Instagram and follow Rob Stenson on Instagram at Rob Rush Stenson. He's doing really cool experimental typographic animation stuff, among other things. If you're a Python person, please check out coldtype.goodhertz.com. Music on today's episode is by Wolfpack, the world's greatest and funkiest rhythm section. If you need fonts, please head over to onotype.co. Next week, we'll be talking about five failures and five triumphs from Ono's history, so we hope you'll tune in next week as well. Please have a good one, and thank you for listening. <laughs>